On this episode of Powered by Battery, we speak with Clark Valberg, the CEO of Envision, the company that's making all the digital products in your life easier to use. From how good design can deliver more profits, to the power of getting personal with your marketing, to what observing Shabbat can do for your work-life balance, Clark shares these insights and more with Battery's Sanjeev Kalavar. Please have a listen. Well, thank you, Clark, for joining us today on the Powered by Battery podcast. Uh, Why the heck did they bother tuning in? Is my question. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I want to go hear a random guy talk about a company I've never heard of and don't care about. Can you just tell us a little bit about the company and and what it is you're all about? So Envision is a design collaboration platform. It is both a tool that designers use to build the digital products that we all know and love and a place where those designs are discussed throughout the organization. So I guess I'll ask it, I'll say it the way I say it to most people. Sanjeev, what's your favorite app? My favorite app, ooh, good question. Uh, what's, what's your favorite digital experience? Be it one on your desktop, it could be one in the little piece of glass in your pocket. I'm opening up my phone right now. I would say the most used app you know, at least I used it this You're morning. You're allowed to say Instagram, by the way. 90% of people will get this question, say Instagram, and then they look really guilty for saying it. <laughs> That's I'm okay. I'm like, no, it's okay. I, I was going to go. actually I was a moment of vulnerability for us. I was, I was going to go with a very utilitarian because I just used Lyft this morning. So uh, I was going to go Lyft. with Lyft. I, I literally lifted to my current location. Excellent. Uh, okay. So if I were to say to you, like, hey, give me three words right from the gut, don't overthink it. Yep. Three words to describe why you like it. It's easy. Uh, it is, you know, cheaper than Uber generally. Uh, okay. And uh, you know, good and good service. Great. Okay. Other than the fact that you're cheapskate, two of those three words uh, are basically words of design, right? When someone says, "Oh, it's easy," usually when I ask this question, they get, "Oh, it's easy. It's fast. It's fun," right? You know, I enjoy it. I don't know. It just feels right. You know, these are the words of design, right? These are not the words of engineering necessarily. These are not the words necessarily of business strategy, right? Although you are a very, you know, business strategic focused person in the work that you do, right? It's funny that you just like, when you think about why you like a thing, you go to those words like easy, fast, fun, cheap, right? You go to experiential qualities, right? And that doesn't happen by accident. Designers make those things happen. There is a designer, there are many, many designers inside of Lyft that spend all day, night and day, probably seven days a week, looking for ways to make that experience a little easier, a little more fun, right? A little more customer friendly. That is the, that is the reason we exist, right? We are the place that those interfaces are designed. Kind of think about it as like the Photoshop, if you will, for digital products. And we are the place that those conversations happen throughout the organization where the folks are trying to figure out, you know, how you balance uh, the three energies of the business, right? The, the business strategy, the customer experience, and technology, right? Those are the three dimensions of modern business, how they come into confluence, how they come into generative harmony, uh, you know, that is done. that is done through design. And so that is what we do. 
Excellent. Yeah, and despite that's the, the fact that's the headiest way for me to describe my business. No, that that makes a lot of sense. In a quick, quick segue, you know, my 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 parents will be proud that you called me a cheapskate. They will they would say they've done their job. So mission <laughs> <laughs> <Which it> accomplished. <laughs> now back to we no longer have to keep sending him allowance. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're all we're all good here. So, um, but that's a really good that's a really good uh, you know kind of segue, uh, Clark, into you know you know the, the broader topic of design. Uh, which you know you, you you mentioned, and you know I've been following the rise of design for you know many years now, uh, well before we met, and and I guess I feel like at least design is at at the center of everything, you know, including increasingly in in the business world. But I want to ask you, kind of, uh, is that the case? Is design kind of increasingly at the at the center of business and of of of, of you know a broader movement more uh, more more generally? And you know, a second part to that is, what is the most overlooked aspect of design? Two questions. Okay, so I guess, I, so obviously I'm gonna say yes, but I'm gonna say yes for two different reasons. Number one, you know, the screen has become the most important place in the world. You've probably heard me say this a million times, right? It, you know, most of the experiences we have between us and the brands that, whose products we consume uh, and probably most of the experiences we have between us and the people that we communicate with and relate to on a, on a personal basis. So most of our business transactions and our personal transactions are in some way happening through a screen. So because, because the screen has become in many ways the most important place in the world, right? Every company has to become a digital product company. Every company is gonna try to figure out how their existence for the next N number of years, and probably it'll be, you know, until somebody invents something better than a screen, Right, how their existence on the screen will either you know serve their purpose and mission or get in the way. Probably you're not thinking about it. I'm not really thinking about it. Right? We're just kind of instinctively clicking A instead of B. I kind of think about that little phone in your pocket as a ballot box. You know, we're clicking icon A or quarter of inch to the left or quarter of inch to the right. You know, we're clicking on little Chad and voting that company into market dominance with our thumb. And we're doing it instinctively. We're doing it as consumers. We're doing it our reptile, with our reptile brains, and we're doing it based on the quality of that experience. So, if screen is the most important place in the world, and customer experience is different between the things we love and the things we don't, every company in the world has to figure that out, right? That's the centrality of design, right? Th those things happen or don't happen. That success happens or doesn't happen on the screen. The other dimension, so let's call it the extrinsic dimension, right? The, 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 the importance of the screen as it pertains to the customer. Then there's the kind of value of the screen as it pertains to the organizational conversation around, you know, creating these things in the first place. You know, if you are a business person, right, and you are talking about the business and you're talking and trying to harmonize, again, that business strategy with customer experience, the best place to have that conversation is while looking at a screen. Yeah. Important to the customer and valuable, you know, to the strategic strategic conversation inside the business. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and obviously, you know, similar to how we see it. But uh, so, I'll back to the second part of that question, which is, what is the most overlooked aspect of design? In your business, right. business, right? When people, I just, I mean, exactly what I just said. I mean, when people say design, they think creativity. They think boundless inception of new 
ideas that kind of blow everybody's mind or wow them with sparkly experience, right? And that's nice, by the way. There are many, you know, the magic moments are important to creating a great digital experience. But at the end of the day, if if we're no longer doing business in lobbies, right, or in offices, right, that's no no longer the place we're inviting our customer, so that we can, you know, build a relationship, consummate transactions you know, build longevity and depth to that relationship. But that's no longer where business happens, like in a building someplace. And now business is happening on a screen someplace. Then your business is actually a screen, right? And this is like, you know, seems like uh, far reaching, right? But, you know, I've described, you know, mo modern businesses, apps with businesses attached yeah. as opposed to businesses that have apps. Right. I think we are now in the apps with businesses attached world. I mean, you're, you're looking at early stage deals all day long, right? Uh, and where, where do you go to look for those deals? Where do you go to find the experience, right? Just think about it as an experience that will disrupt or redefine or evolve in a very significant way some category of human consumption. But it's interesting to, to, to kind of on that point, right, because, you know, you're saying that on the one hand, you know, design is becoming ever present in, in so many areas of business. And at the same time, it's overlooked, right, uh, in that people don't, I mean, people think of design as, you know, creativity and kind of all of these, you know, kind of, you know, more radical ideas. So... Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a weird kind of dichotomy there where you've got, you know, yes, kind of both both functions that are both, you know, very strong and very negative at the at the same time. How how do you make sense of that? So, we have our consumer mind, right? And then we have our business mind, right? And the bridging the gap between the two, I think is the most important thing we can do as I think as business leaders, right? And I think that this gets to the heart of the definition of customer centricity. This is something we all believe. No, customer centricity, Bezos, Amazon, we get it. We get that being customer centric is probably the best way to win in any category, right? So I've described it this way to, to business folks that I'm trying to, you know, kind of preach the religion. Uh, you can spend a lot of time on customer support calls. That's pretty customer centric. You can create great, great uh, customer policies. Right, you know, free returns, overnight shipping, right? But the place your customer lives is the place you need to put most of the intellect or as much of the intellectual energy of the business focused on. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, you know, just on a related note, you know, uh, a recent McKinsey report uh, about the, you know, McKinsey Design Index noted that, you know, companies that are in the top quartile of that index. Uh, kind of outperform the industry benchmark by up to two to one. And I know that Envision also released a similar report on design, uh, you know, just uh, recently. You know, were sure, there... 100%. I, we're working with McKinsey on, on these kinds of things all the time. Okay, fa fantastic. So let me ask you, kind of, were there any uh, surprises in these studies that you've done uh, with McKinsey, you know, you know, beyond maybe some of the thematic things that you've mentioned around design being both overappreciated and underappreciated at the same time. <laughs> I think the biggest surprise is the the lack of um, a lack of a taxonomy and the lack of a a way to kind of um, articulate 
exactly what design is and where it lives, right? So on the lowest end of the kind of design maturity index, you end up with companies that kind of think about design as a thing that lives in marketing. You know, marketing where they have to design things so that people will click on stuff, right? <laughs> or landing pages, right? Or they think about design as a thing that happens as an afterthought in engineering. Engineering is the most important thing. Of course, you got to build product. We all know that code is a thing that ends up, that code sells. You know, you build things with code, and then those are the things you sell. Of right? That makes sense. That right? yep. the you know centrality of, of engineering, and and you know design. Of course, you want to make it look good as much as you can on the way out the door, right? That's the most of the world's companies are closer to that than the other end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is thinking about customer first, experience first, design first. How do we build this thing and actually make sure that we're building the right thing for the business, the right thing for the customer, and then you know, sorry, how do we design the right thing for the customer, the right thing for the business, and then ultimately, you know, the development part is the uh, kind of bringing that to life uh, phase. So the, the thing that's most surprising is the kind of lack of uh, awareness in the executive suite around where the center of gravity is, like where the, the, the highest point of opportunity or leverage uh, within the the world of digital product exists, just not just not knowing the difference between what happens in engineering, and what happens in design. Got it. So still awareness, kind of it's it's to the, it's to the entirely awareness. Got it. Okay, makes sense. So so maybe kind of switching gears here for a, a minute, and you know many of our listeners are building companies themselves, and they may be entrepreneurs, um, they may be executives at at companies. And you know, there's been a, a rising tide of designer founders, uh, yourself included, but also uh, you know folks at, at Airbnb and, and, and others. Um, if you're not a designer founder, uh, what can you do to incorporate design into the the startup from the from the ground up, or maybe even later on if it you know it's a yeah, little bit later on. Find a designer in the co-founder. <laughs> Uh, and it, listen, digital product is so important. It's hard to imagine that you're building something. There are people, by the way, who are building like really, really hard technology and you know things that exist in the back end that don't have a fundamentally do not have a customer experience, right? But if you are in a business where a customer experience is important, right? where the way that you connect with your customer has a qualitative measure associated with it, in other words, people are going to like this more or less, and if they like this more and go to the reptile brain, world of the reptile brain. They like this more. It means they'll use us instead of somebody else. If that's a success factor, then design and product thinking need to be a part of the founding team. I, I, I don't see a world where you use an agency to kind of figure out this design thing, right? Or, you know, hire some designers to figure it out for you. It, it, you have to have a, it, there is no There is no such thing as a Michelin star restaurant that isn't owned by a Michelin star chef. The sensitivity of experience, the kind of experiential sensitivity of, of the, of our populace, of the global population of humans clicking on things and doing things is such that they, they are all looking for a Michelin star experience in everything they do. They, they want to feel good about the product they use. They don't care if it's something that they use for you know, uh, recording their expenses inside their massive corporation. Or, or communicating, right? I think we would have, 10 years ago, we, someone would have said, hey, I think we can make 
the experience of basic communication throughout the business magically better and faster and you know more enjoyable we said oh it's not a very interesting problem now we recognize like you know the new the next generation of enterprise software is essentially uh some experiential innovation that's very interesting to think about like the difference between experiential innovation and technical innovation and how most of the uh most of these markets are being shaped today by things that are fundamentally experiential innovations not technology innovations yeah, no, that's right. super and interesting. So to so make it, that happen, it's just to sustain words, it and make it awesome. You have to have you have to have some sort of a designer founder as part of the founding team. Yeah, in other words, you got to you know incorporate experiential innovation into the you know the backbone of the company from from day one. I think I it, it, sure unless you're you know doing something again that's just so yeah. disconnected from De- customer experience. Dependent unless you don't have customers, and then you you might have some challenges as a business. Um. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're an API talking to other APIs in a world of in a vacant space, you know, post-apocalyptic uh, world of APIs. No, there, I mean, there are products, by the way, that, that just really don't have a customer experience. But you know, most of the ones you're most interested in probably do. Yeah. No, that 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 makes that makes sense. So let's switch gears for a minute and just talk a little bit more about about you. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got to starting Envision? Well, several days before starting Envision, I ran an agency. Uh, that's what I did here in New York. And we were building products for other people, you know, apps and web things and mobile things. This is like, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. And we, we created the Envision product with the sole intention of using with our clients, period. Uh, and it totally changed the game for our relationship with our clients. We were building incredible products that we never thought you know, were possible before. Our clients were, you know, again, relationships were better. The products were better. The financial kind of constructs were better. Everything was better. And somebody at some point had the idea, hey, why don't we put this thing in the world and see if folks are interested? Um, which at that time I was sure they wouldn't be. I was sure that you know other agencies were too stuck in their ways to to adopt it, and that you know the uh, kind of direct to enterprise market wasn't ready for this kind of you know this model. It was too it was too uh, too different. Uh, but I said sure, let's do it. Well, do it anyway. We put it out there, and the rest is history. Uh, and then we spun the product off from the agency and raise some some venture money from from beautiful folks and so on and yada 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 wonderful no that's a it's a it's a great story and 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 very inspiring of you know uh you know for entrepreneurs of you know building products that you know scratch their own itch so that's uh that's fantastic one of the things that i've you know consistently been impressed by has been you know envisions and and your ability to really build community and I know that you've done that, you know, through your newsletter and through a variety of other, you know, kind of ways. And, you know, for those that don't know, you know, Envision now has, you know, millions of, of, of folks uh, in their community and in, 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 in the, and, in, in, and as broader users of the platform as well. Can you just tell us a little bit more about how you go about and how you think about kind of building community? And are there any interesting uh, kind of lessons learned for, you know, other folks building companies? that you can share? 
<laughs> so there's a very practical way of looking at this, and I think there's more there's a more aspirational, inspirational way of looking at it. A very practical way of looking at it, which I think is applicable pretty much to everybody probably listening to this call that has a customer, right? Is the you're you're probably trying to figure out if you're just getting started what your content strategy is going to be, right? Like, how are we going to build? How are we going to write things and produce eBooks and all other kinds of content that we we think our customers will find interesting, right? And so that process will take you through some sort of a better understanding the customer research process and what do they like, what are they into, what topics interest them, and you can take a very very scientific approach to that. Um, I chose not to, right? I took a how do we how do we partner with this kind of customer to help to better understand themselves, right? How can we create a hero at the center of every story we tell and then tell those hero stories to other people who want to be more like them, who want to, you know, function more like them or, you know, just want an experience that's more like that experience and just tell that story over and over again and build uh, kind of a tribe, right, out of our central customer. I mean, the logical conclusion to the democratization of IT, the democratization of the enterprise, is that so many of the enterprise software decisions will happen at the IC level. Does that make sense? You see that. Yeah, right? absolutely. Right. And the, the IC isn't thinking about outfitting the business with software. The IC is thinking about that individual person is thinking as an individual. They're thinking about their career. They're thinking about the development, their development, their professional development. They're thinking about what they need to know next to be, you know, to be their best. So when you tune into that channel, the, the channel of the individual on their hero's journey from wherever they are today to the height of their profession, whether they're an engineer or designer or they're data scientist, we see great, or they're a marketer, we see incredible examples of companies that do a really, really good job mapping to that and making that central to their entire story. And I think about Qualtrics, I think about, you know, uh, GitHub and Atlassian, right? When you make them the hero, that center, per, that person at the center of your, of that, you know, uh, of your story, of your product story, you make them in here a hero, and you invest in them. You, you you help them understand, you know, what they need to get to the next step, and all of your content does that, right? All good things happen. Does that make sense? Tune in to the culture of your customer. Practical advice like more philosophical, more aspirational advice, right? You know, if you can help lead that culture, if you can actually be a part of the, the evolution of the culture, right? It's the highest order of brand appreciation. That's great. Right? That irrational attachment to brand, right? It's the, it's the way we feel about the products we really love the most and outfit our lives with the most, right? That irrational, I, I, don't, I just love this brand and that comes from giving. This is a much longer conversation about, yeah, you know, no, no, you know, it, it, it's, do you it's, love because you give or do you give because you love, right? <laughs> and at the end of the day, like, you know, uh, 
but but I think it, drives I, I, think it, I think it fits well because it's you know you you said on the it, and it fits well with our earlier topic where you know uh, it was very analytical right sell help solve a problem of an individual contributor but at the same time focus on the emotional which is you know give to them and, and make them a hero and then you know they'll love you back in return right so i think it's uh it, it makes a, a, a lot of sense uh, and this is true for some these are this is true for faculty you know outside marketing i would argue maybe even more so uh, one of the things we think about a lot of in, at envision is just customer empathy right uh, it is you know principle envision principle number six of seven customer empathy and the way we we think about it is not hey you know talk to your customers survey of course survey your customers and you get feedback and NPS and read the notes and that's good. But spend time with your customer as people. Yeah. Uh, we have a program here called Delicious Empathy. I won't bore you with the details, but Delicious Empathy. Every single person in the entire vision company, this is like now 900 people, right, has budget to go and take customers out for lunch or dinner. I mean, I'm a remote company, we'll talk about that I'm sure. So we have people all over the globe. There isn't a person in the entire Envision company that doesn't live within an hour of some customer. That's basically true. So every person in the company has budget to go and take a customer out for lunch or dinner at least once a year. But there's one rule. You're not allowed to talk about Envision. You're not allowed to talk about Envision and you're not allowed to sell anybody anything. You're not allowed to you know, start, you know, promoting some new product, just spend time with them as people, right? Building empathy, that's customer empathy, by the way. Empathy begins with connecting as a person. If we connect as a person, all that other information takes on a totally different flavor, a much higher fidelity. And and then, you know, the, the intended outcome is that that person then becomes, I call it an emotional partner. And this is going to sound super, maybe sound super fluffy, but you know, the, you, you take, you go back to work and you take that person, that image of that person that you know, back with you in a sense. Right. And they, you know, there's a little chair next to your seat uh, for that person. And they're a part of all the thinking you do and all the decisions you make are now uh, impassioned and uh, enlightened by this new friend that you just made. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. Get to know them as a person. It's almost, Almost like uh, an anti-sales call. 100%. Totally. It's giving, right? Connection is the best, is the, is the, the most valuable thing you can give anybody. <laughs> That's great. So on that note of getting to know, you know, the person, uh, I want to give an opportunity for our listeners to, to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, well, one of the things that Do you have uh, callers are there callers <laughs> <laughs> maybe next episode we'll have callers that would be fantastic i would i would really be interested to see who are the bat hardcore battery listeners that would be on a tuesday for, for or... <laughs> sure i'm going to get trolled for sure the first three phone calls you need heavy screening the first three phone calls are going to be serious trolls um, other than my mom kind of calling me to uh, ask about uh, you know, where I left the, the, the leftovers. Why haven't you called me? That's my mother's first question, by the way. First and last question. Why haven't I called? The, the entire phone call is basically why I haven't called her. I'm like, can we, can we be present? Can we talk about this phone call without being a... Uh, that, that would be wonderful. Um, so the, the question I was going to ask, which is, uh, you know, you are... Uh, 
Sabbath observant and uh, would love to just understand more about, you know, why you do that and, and what it what it kind of means to you. So I, I, am, I am Jewish. I am a uh, Sabbath observant uh, religious Jew. And so that means on Friday night, every week of the year, from a little before sundown to a little after sundown Saturday night, I am completely offline. By the way, this is like, I have to explain exactly what that means because, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who just don't get it. They've known me for many, many years. Hey, okay, fine, you're offline. Can I text you? I'll text you, no problem. I'll text you instead. I won't call you. No, I don't text. Okay, great, so just drive over to my house. I don't drive. Okay, great, so like, can I FaceTime you? Is that, is that a thing? No. When I say offline, I mean completely offline. I do not touch a physical device. I am totally off the internet. I do not exist in, the, in this, this most important place in the world that I talk about all the time, the screen. I literally disappear from that entirely for 25 hours a week. Uh, and so, you know, this is obviously a religious thing. There are you know, other religions that, that have something somewhat like this, uh, you know, and it's, it's fairly, uh, it's very extreme. I, I extreme in a very good way, right? It, is, it provides a very, very, very sharp uh, contrast of consciousness. Right, so I spend 25 hours connecting with, connecting with family. You know, connecting with all the things that are difficult to connect with when you run a, you know, you run a, at scale startup. I'm sure most of the people that you know, are listening to this can can appreciate how difficult it is to find work-life balance. Like this is complete separation, disconnection from the world of work and the world of the internet and total connection with family. Do you find that that time away uh, from the screen makes you a better CEO? Well, without a question. I, I, I personally, just me, maybe it's my way my brain works. I, I certainly couldn't do what I do without that. Um, I think we all need that. I think it's something, it's funny because, you know, I was uh, at our company All Hands in Phoenix this year. One of the, end, I did a, an Ask Me Anything session with 200 engineers in a room. Right. And a fellow got up and said, hey, you know, I'm from, uh, where was he from? Ontario, some, some, maybe one of your- Proud Canadian, oh, yes, excellent. Yeah, proud Canadian. He goes, I, I don't know anything about Shabbat. He goes, I, I, I never, it just, it was a totally foreign concept to me before I, I started here at Envision, right? But let me tell you something, I love Shabbat. <laughs> This is a guy who's this is a guy who's not he's not Jewish. I think he's Jewish, right? Uh, he's definitely not a religious Jew, that's for sure. But he he himself appreciates. He goes, I love the fact that in vision we we respect and appreciate and celebrate the idea that there is a time where we we step away from work entirely, that we're not available twenty four seven. He goes, I, I you know I come out of that you know I wake up on Sunday morning and I just you know. I'm excited about the week ahead. And he got it. Wait, so, so just, to, just to, to clarify, does that mean that the whole company observes Shabbat? So, yeah, so because I run the company, this is like, you know, basically the way these things work. Uh, and, you know, the whole company basically, no one's required to work from Friday night to Saturday night. Very cool. All right, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So, new question here. One of the many interesting things, uh, one of the many interesting things about Envision 
uh, is that one it, of the two interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you referenced it earlier, is that Envision is all remote. Can you just yeah, say yeah. a little bit more about what that means when you say all remote and um, you know, what are maybe some... Just tell me what the heck is wrong with you, Clark. You just start there. <laughs> start there and we'll go from there. Uh, I mean, you know, th things continue for very different reasons they began. I can tell you how it began. You know, I, it's because it's a fun venture story. Uh, I was in New York. My business partner and I, his name is Ben. He's still, he's still at Envision. And we had just raised a million dollar seed round from Firstmark in New York. And he, my Ben comes in, it's like, you know, like a week into the, to the fresh money in the bank account. He says, I have amazing news. I said, oh, tell me. He was like, remember that apartment I bought in Chelsea? I'm like, yeah, I remember. He says, Google just opened an office a block away from my apartment. I'm going to make like a million dollars on this apartment. I'm going to sell this apartment to some Google person, some rich Googler, right? And I'm going to make so much money because it's like a block away from Google. I said, Ben, did you consider the broader implications of this, right? You just like, you're celebrating the opening of the world's most powerful tech company, right? In New York, right? Making it even harder for us to hire any engineers. You get where I'm going with that, right? Yep, totally. Uh, and, and it's super hard to hire, by the way, in major, um, major cities anyways, New York, San Francisco, it's incredibly hard. And, you know, I found myself for the next, I don't know how many months, just meeting with engineers and trying to recruit and trying to sell them on the vision of something that hadn't been proven by a long shot, you know, and, and you know, this crazy thing called design. And every single one of them were interviewed someplace else. They, that's typical, right? And so many of them mentioned Google. Oh, Google. Oh, I heard Google open up and actually talking to some people at Google. So I just realized this is going to be, is going to be hard. So how, how do we hack this? How do we figure out a way to hire awesome people super quickly without you know, dealing with the pressure cooker that is the New York tech talent market. Uh, and we said, hey, what if we did something crazy? What if we just hired people that we had worked with as contractors back in the agency days? Well, we had hired contractors here and there, people from exotic locations like Tennessee <laughs> and Phoenix, you know, really super exotic, uh, far-flung destination. What if we just hired these people? What if we just hired them and had them work from home? We didn't try to ship them to New York. We did it, and you know, kind of the rest is history. We recognized that it was it became like a, a talent hack. We, we'd go off into these markets and find like the best people in the markets, pay them way above whatever their local, you know, uh, pay scale, you know, basically would have dictated. Um, so we paid them more. We gave them all this great work-life integration. We talked about work-life integration a lot. Like, hey, you're gonna work you'll be able to choose your own hours all this has evolved you know since then but you know we basically sold we sold them on an up on a, a lifestyle upgrade and and gave them a pay upgrade and, and ended up working really well and so it obviously forced us to, to think about the, our people practices and platforms inside the company and make sure that we were um essentially as evolved in our process as we would have had to be when we had gotten to let's call it too many people to put on the floor. And now it's become obviously you know, a, a big part of the Envision culture. Um, it's the reason why we're able to hire you know, so many incredible people like you know, from all over the globe. Uh, 
And I would say that uh, in hindsight, it was a really good decision. <laughs> oh, I think we all assumed it was going to have some sort of a massive breaking point and multiple part points of the in the Envision story, but it's worked out really, really well. And you know, we shall continue. And it's a weird experiment that has turned into a way of life. That's fantastic. It's 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 a great story. Um, and now you're you know, right about nine hundred people, correct? That's right. Yeah. Do you, do you think that uh, remote work is the is the future for for other companies? That's a good question. I do not think that you know we're headed toward a world where you know the majority of companies will do this. Uh, I think it will happen much more subtly. I think you'll see companies begin to loosen their policy on co-location, and we see that today already. And by doing that, they'll face challenges with culture, they're going to face challenges with uh, communication, and they're going to have to make a decision. Do we evolve the culture and the communication to accommodate this or not? Those that do will unlock a massive discontinuous opportunity for acquiring top talent on a global scale. I think uh, uh, Stripe just officially announced that their next engineering office will be a remote office, which is kind of a you know a abstract way of saying we're going to start hiring a lot of remote developers and we're okay with that. Uh, but those that lean into it are going to unlock discontinuous value. I got a piece of advice, by the way, from Colin. You know David Cancel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I called David Cancel like month three of this remote experience uh, experiment. Uh, I said, David, hey, do you have any advice? I know that you were thinking about remote or you wrote a blog post about remote life or something. You know, what, what would be your advice for me? He said, all in or all out. That was his big piece of advice. In other words, if you're going to do the remote thing, be fully, fully remote. Don't have a headquarters and then have remote people. Don't have a place. Go so far as to you personally should be working from home, not from a New York office with a few New York people on the New York team. Because that creates this discontinuity, that creates this um, inequity, right? Of, oh, there's a company headquarters and I'm not in it, right? Don't don't allow there to be a place that you're not in if you're an employee here at the company. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, I'm going to wrap up here with with one final question in the spirit of getting to know you, uh, and it's a l- little bit on the you know less serious side. So, the the question is: So, if you weren't a startup CEO like you are today, uh, what would you be doing, Clark? Okay, is this a question? If I after Envision or Envision never existed, what would I do if I didn't do this? They're two very different answers. Envision never existed, and uh, you know you, ha- you, you, you had something else life. to do, and you know you, you chose that other path. I don't know what path <laughs> I, that was. I would be a packaging designer, would, without a question. That's what I would do. That's for, uh, that is a, a a bizarre passion of mine. Uh, have you ever gone? Like, have we gone? Have we done the Dumbo tour? You and I. No. Okay. So when I do have to meet with people in person. I have a desk in a co-working space in Dumbo that I use just to do all my in-person meetings, but I don't actually do the in-person meetings in the co-working space. I, I walk, I like to do walk and talks. So I walk and talk 
Uh, and so one of the things we do on this little, you know, I call it my circuit. I have multiple circuits around the Dumbo waterfront. Um, is stop into these little high-end organic, you know what I'm talking about, like the organic bodegas that they have in New York that are like uh, with a lot of overpriced uh, food goods. <laughs> these little stores that sell like all these little high-end snacks or whatever. So there's two of them um, in the Dumbo area. I do this wherever I am. I go in there and just walk and go through the aisles and just look at packaging design. Right. And I asked myself, like, how is this package telling the story of this product? Mm. Right? How, because great design is not to do a whole big, you know, selling the power of design, but great design is transformative. Great design is transcendent. Right? It can take a, a material of uh, almost uh, just irrelevant physical uh, commodity value. Right? Like, tea like how much is one satchel of tea you know loose leaf organic tea in a little you know nylon little bag how much is that even worth on dollars and cents not even a dollar maybe not even a cent okay but when you put it in the right packaging that tells the right story to the customer that kind of changes their thinking and, and you know, all the priming and all of just just kind of the qualitative emotional uh atmosphere that you create with with great packaging, you completely transcend the value of that commodity. So I, that to me is very inspiring, right? Because it's the closest thing that we as human beings can do to, to magic, right? So if I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing that. I'd be creating meaning using packages. Got it. All right. So there you have it. The answer is packaging designer. And so maybe we will see, you know, cereal boxes or tea satchels designed by Clark at, at some I really, point. I really thought about it. I really thought about it, but I am, um, you know, obligated to continue uh, all of my focus on this incredible business that we have in front of you. Uh, we're, we're very humbled to be on the journey with you. So uh, we appreciate that and uh, also appreciate you taking out time out of your day today to uh, spend time with us here at uh, Powered by Battery. Super fun. Awesome. Thanks, Clark. Thank you so much. All the best.